Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. And as always, I'm joined by my partner in crime, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison, for another busy show made even busier. This time, because we're joined by TalkSport's cricket editor, John Norman, commonly known to me and Harmy as The Boss, to look ahead to what's to come in 2024. We'll discuss England's upcoming five-test tour of India and ask what to, to expect to see from the summer series against the West Indies and Sri Lanka. We'll also look ahead to the T20 World Cup in the West Indies and the USA, and we'll end the show by discussing how franchise cricket may shape the game in the next 12 months, the next 12 years, or the next 50 years. So something a bit different, it's the Christmas special. The only thing missing is our red bobble hats. Plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to Following On. Uh, Harmi, John, let's reflect back on 2023, another busy year um, full of individual highlights. It's impossible to ask you for your, for your moments of the year, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I'll start with you, boss. What sticks in your mind? What do you remember? What's your highlight of 2023? Well, first off, thanks for having me. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. I mean, look, 2023, I think, showcased the very best and the very worst about cricket both from an English perspective and also a cricket perspective. You've asked for the very best. Briefly, I'll say what the worst was. From an England fan, I think the White Ball World Cup, the 50-over White uh, World Cup was, uh, you know, for a, a tournament that is supposed to showcase the very best of the sport, it did precisely the opposite. But it's not the first time that's happened, is it? Mm. That's kind of been World Cups, 2007, springs to mind. 2015 in New Zealand was brilliant, but... Not really sure it resonated anywhere else. 2019 was good for for England, but 2023, I'm afraid, poor show. What, three close finishes? So that's the low. But the high for me, it would be easy for me to say the ashes because I was fortunate enough to be at every day of it. And it it's just about pipped from 2005. But if it hadn't rained for two days at Manchester, I think it would have stood equal with 2005. One moment from that, Ashes, I'd have to say, I think the turning point of it all was that six that Mark Wood hit 
the first ball after lunch on day two at Headingley, with England miles away from the game, 2-0 down. And really, there's journalists, uh, broadcasters, who say one thing on air and one thing very differently around when we're in the queue for lunch at these grounds. And most people thought that was it. England's goose was cooked. And then Mark Wood came out, smacked the first ball for six, and everything changed. But my standout moment from 2023, you know I love you guys and you know I love our team, but it's got to be the final stages of that test match at Wellington. Yeah. With wickets just falling at the right speed after that collapse at the, t- at the top. And because we love cricket and we love England, but we do love the sport, the sheer drama of a full house at the Basin with Dan McCarty down the corridor. And he went through all the range of emotions whilst on commentary in much the same way we were. And if you're ever going to lose a game as close to that, it's going to have to be New Zealand. And so it, uh, so it eventuated. You 2 on comms, shades of 2005 with Harmy, caught down the leg side, of course, and all of that, and the one-run win, as opposed to the two-run at Edgbaston. It was just exquisite drama. And then, of course, as soon as it was over, we all had to pack our bags and get back to, to England and South Africa. So we didn't even really have a chance to get together. So that's my standout moment of the year. Yeah, manners, yeah. You know, where do you have a follow that one? The, being on air, calling that one in Wellington was, was crazy because it did send me back to Edgebaston, standing 22 yards away, uh, standing sort of 40 yards away, ready to run in time after time, seeing the scoreboard go down and and me being sort of, when you're on air, you're, you're out of it, but you're in it. And manners, your calling of it was absolutely brilliant in that. I've still got to see that, still see the video. That is, that is a, a, a different highlight because that's something, it's a job that you do now. It's not the playing highlight, if you know what I mean. And you move on as a broadcaster and you want these moments to come. And I really enjoyed that. The Ashes were brilliant for me. I thought they were fantastic. Even though England... I don't think England deserved to win the Ashes, but the rain, when they came, you were just hoping that, just give us one finale. The finale we desperately crave for in this series, because I think the Aussies were there to be beat. I think they had run their race, unfortunately. You're right about the World Cup. Part of me thinks the the person, the player of, of 2023 has to be Pat Cummins, because of the way he's gone about World T20 a World Test Championship, then the I'd return the Ashes, then winning the World Cup. Um, but my moment, and it's a standout moment, and I, I chose it because I am one of them moments in the Ashes history as well, that this will always come back. Every time we have an Ashes, the Alex Carey, Johnny Bairstow, is it stumped? Is it run out? Is it right? Is it spirit of cricket? For me, that is the moment of, of, of 2023 because forever in the day when we talk about the Ashes from now on, that will come up. You know, my wide ball will come up. Michael Slater's first over at edge. But that will all come up. All these, all these little individual moments in Ashes history are folklore. And the Johnny Bairstow, Alex Carey, for me, is something that will come up in years and years to come. Even when Johnny Bairstow and Alex Carey are long gone from their careers, so that was a that was a key moment of the summer, um, and one that I think everybody will will say that was. It was a difficult moment for cricket, but it was a great moment for drama because it just seemed to ignite the series. Certainly ignited a few MCC members. What about you, Manus? <laughs> well, all of those. I concur completely. I got goosebumps just thinking back to our, 
uh, trip to New Zealand and and those. I, I mean, the both test matches were absolutely fabulous, and we saw the the positive baseball approach in the first test match, and uh, and so that that was fabulous. It was my first time to see the new test match approach, which also included some fielding drills that I've never seen before, and um, some days when England didn't turn up to schedule practice as well because they were on the golf course. More of that later. But my concern about this year is that uh, one of the the great heroes, heroines actually, of the game in 2023 might be forgotten. The courage, the pioneering spirit and the um, fearless uh, approach to something that she may have thought was controversial. I'm concerned that Miva Duma will be forgotten because, you know, at the age of just 16, she transformed the game by performing not one, not two or three, but four dismissals, formerly regarded or described as the Mancad, playing for Cameroon against Uganda in the Women's Africa T20 regional qualifier. She ran out four batters <laughs> at the non-striker's end. The courage... The tenacity. (laughs) And don't uh, don't forget technique. (laughs) Well, indeed, exactly right. And um, Cameroon won the game, but didn't qualify. But my point is actually um, that that signifies all of the international cricket that was played at a level that most of us, I I wasn't aware that, you know, Malta played um, the Czech Republic in in a T20 international quite extraordinary uh, and, I, and I've been quite excited about that. Michael Atherton said a couple of days ago that uh, the, the men's game in particular was devouring itself. There was so much cricket going on and it's impossible to, to, to follow it. You know, I, I, I still struggle with the T10 league in, in Abu Dhabi and, and, but, but you know what? It's earning possibilities, earning potential for international players, men particularly um, around the world. But uh, but my attention has been drawn to um, the likes of Nepal and and Uganda qualifying for the T Twenty World Cup and and I, and I think there's a sort of purity and innocence <laughs> having just spoken about a, a, a cricketer running four people out at the non strikers end. But so I've I've enjoyed that and uh, we'll perhaps talk about more of that. What what are we looking forward to in 2024? Then back to you, John. What what excites you? What do you hope for next year? Well, of course, there's there's India, isn't there? I was I did an interview with Monty Panesar a couple of days ago, and it'll be available, of course, on the Talksport YouTube channel. And I mean, he's <laughs> it's hilarious. It's an interview where you'll find out basically he wants to be Piers Morgan, right? That's his dream. <laughs> I asked him, you know, where are what you? What a dream! Where are you going to be? <laughs> where are you going to be in twenty years, Monty? And he said, I'm going to be hosting my own primetime TV, you know, interview show. I kind of wasn't expecting that. And then I said, okay, well, let's just imagine a scenario where you're here doing some commentary. Piers Morgan suddenly can't get into the studio. They need a host and you're the man. And I said to him, if you could pick three people and we would make it happen, who would they be? We mentioned it on commentary the other, the other night. I personally would love to see a chat show involving Donald Trump, Sachin Tendulkar, Beyonce and Monty Panesar. <laughs> And who knows, maybe it'll happen. But in the in and amongst some of the sanity within that conversation, we, we talked about 2012. And of course, when England go to India next month, it will be nearly 40 years. In the space of 40 years, England have won once. Partly because 
England didn't travel to India quite as much when it didn't make quite as much money as it does now. I mean, Goffey, I think, I don't even know if Goffey played in India. Played, did he play once in 93 or 94, so that, one, that trip, one test yeah. match, right? Hmm. Anyway, I asked the question of Monty. What was it about your team that meant they could achieve what so many other England teams have failed to achieve in that period? And then he started listing the names of the players. And then I compared those players to what England are going to bring. To bring. And the sheer amount of runs in that top order that England possessed in 2012 from your Sir Alistair's through your, tro- your Trotties, your Strauss, your KPs, your Ian Bell, Bells, Collingwood, uh, Collingwood, Matt Pryor. Mm. I mean, what are we talking about? 100 test centuries? 150 test centuries, maybe? And then, of course, there's the wickets. And there's Graham Swan. And Broad and uh, Anderson. And Broad and Anderson. In their peak. At their peak. And then you compare to what England are bringing to. <laughs> India next month and you think ah that's going to be difficult so looking forward to it for sure but there's certainly a bit of trepidation in there as well yeah mine mine man is when I, if I'm looking most looking forward to in 2024 I've got four things written down here will Basball work in India big question mark will Joffre Archer play for England in 2024 he's on a two year contract so we hope he will what will the 100 look like in 12 months time um, and will there be bilateral cricket in after 2024? The biggest one for me, a bit like what John's in there, will Basball work in India? I'm not so sure that the approach they had in Pakistan on them flat wickets will work on the turning pitches and the, 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 the difference of level of players they're playing against in, in India compared to Pakistan. And I think it's going to be a big, big challenge. Um, you're listening to following on here on TalkSport 2. Uh, with me, Neil Manthorpe, Double Ashes Minister Steve Harmison and Talk Sports cricket editor John Norman. Next up, as I said, we'll look ahead to England's test side in 2024, starting off with that five-match series in India. My name is Mashal St. Patrick here from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. And the thing that I am most looking forward to in 2024 is the England versus West Indies Test Series. For the West Indies, it's the first time they've properly been back to England um, since the pandemic. Everyone remembers the pandemic tour when global cricket restarted, but there were no crowds then. So this is the first time really since 2017 that we'll see... Uh, a full England versus West Indies tour with the fans back ready to take it in. So I'm really looking forward to that. You're listening to a following on here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison and uh, our cricket editor John Norman as we look ahead to what's to come in 2024. Don't forget, you can now watch us on YouTube if you're not doing so already. Just head over to the TalkSport Cricket YouTube channel and subscribe and uh, you'll get a shock because uh, we don't always look the way we sound. Um, Okay, let's talk about this uh, five-match series in India. Um, Just following on from, from both of your points, the best thing England have got going for them, you would think, is that they've got nothing to lose apart from 5-0. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I, I I can see England winning a test match. I really can. Flat pitch, day one, as many Indian pitches can be before they crumble and disintegrate. Joe Root scores a big 100. Zach Crawley maybe scores a big 100. But I can see them scoring 500 in a test match and then scoreboard pressure and um, maybe Jack Leach, maybe Shoaib Bashir will take care of uh, the majority of the wickets. I can see them winning a test match. I cannot 
for the life of me. And I don't mean this pessimistically at all, but I cannot see how they can win the series unless Bansball has another twist that we haven't seen yet. Well, there's, there's two questions going into this series as far as I can see. First off, what kind of pitches are England going to pro- or India going to produce? Secondly, can England take 20 wickets? Conversely, from a batting perspective, you would hope, and from an English perspective, you would hope for flat tracks. But conversely, and somewhat obviously, the best chance England have got of taking 20 wickets is on a spinning track and maybe winning the toss and having one of those innings from one of those batters that you know we've enjoyed watching over the last 18 months or so. For me, I know it sounds like it's a name that will surprise you possibly, but Dan Lawrence played against India in 2021. And he only played one test match, I think. But he had a game plan. He knew where his scoring areas were. And he knew that he essentially was playing a relative high-risk brand of cricket. But he was coming in down the order and having watched a lot of cricket played in that tournament or that series where the England approach had been to essentially just try and block it out, crease occupation, and essentially a little bit of rabbit in headlights, quite defensive. His game plan was very different. And it kind of worked to a degree. He didn't score any centuries, but he did score a few runs. And actually, he put the pressure back on the bowler. For a while, I sat there and I thought, yeah, I can see this. It was high risk, and he is a kind of batter that can get out early. But essentially... I imagine that's kind of how all of England are going to be going. Top six or seven. If Bairstow plays at seven, which I kind of... I can't kind of, see that happening. Either either way, I think that England's approach is going to be like what we saw in Pakistan against a far better bowling attack. attack. But if there's one thing that we know about big teams, bully teams, is you have to punch them. You have to punch them back and then you see how they respond. And I think that's how England are going to go about things. It may not work. I think they probably will win one test. But essentially, I think that's England's best route of beating India. And I think that's how they're going to go about it. I think for England to beat India, they've got to win an awful lot of tosses. Um, I look at the the grounds that they're playing at. Hyderabad, not so much Hyderabad, but Vishkapatnam, Rajkot, Ranchi and Dharmasala. They're all out out grounds. They're not in the big stadiums. They're not under pressure to produce a pitch from the BCCI point of view because they don't get many games. So they'll produce a pitch that they want to produce because it's not in Mumbai, it's not in Bangalore, it's not in the main the main because they're the World Cup, they're the World Cup venues. So I think you will see a lot more. I think you will see massive turning pitches. I think they'll put they'll they'll feel as though they'll produce the pitch that you know suits them which would suit India you know so I look at this and say I struggle to see how England not only win the series unless they win every toss that for me is the only way they they win a game I really I really want to try and be positive but I can't see too many I don't think Basball will really work well compare this England because I think the hardest part of that is getting in so how did Australia win a test earlier this year um, is, was that a better... I mean, we've just seen the two t- teams, but it was a different Australia side. Todd Murphy, Kuhneman was playing. They were going in with three spinners. I think their spinners are far better than what our spinners are. So that's where the difference would be. I think the difference would be. We've got we've got one spinner who's bowled in India. You look at the England makeup of the, of the, of the squad and you go, it looks as though they're gonna, they've got four out-and-out seamers and four out-and-out spinners. So they're going to play two and two. They're going to play two seamers. Our batting two is... Spinners. Our, 
batting, I would say, I don't know what you think, man, is I, I think England's batting 2024 is stronger than Australia's batting in 2023. What's your what's your batting lineup? Because I don't think England know their batting lineup and how you get how you get them into seven is a real concern because you're going to have to have folks at seven because you've picked Why? them. Well, you've yeah, given him a central yeah, you contract. You haven't picked folks for him not to play. Yeah, you haven't picked him for him not to play and you haven't given him a central contract for him not to play. The reason why you haven't given Will Jacks a central contract, Phil Salt a central contract, is because he didn't believe that they were going to play. So folks plays so pl- folks, over folks, No, folks plays at seven. Then you've got to fit a top six in. So where's Bairstow play? So then that's the question. It, for me, Joe Root has to bat three. No question whatsoever. He's our best player for any for us to win the series. He's got to have the series of his life. And for me, our best player has to bat at number three. There's no good Joe Root going in at 20 for two with folks at seven and four bowlers who really struggle to bat because he might end up running out of partners. Because the, the thing that I think England struggle with, and when you're talking about baseball and the positive approach, the hardest part about batting in India is getting your innings started. Under pressure, two men round the bat, three men round the bat, spin bowlers bowling, ball turning, heat of the battle, 50,000 balls. There's not going to be 50,000 people in because of smaller grounds. That, for me, is baseball going to go and smack the second ball out of the ground for six? Is somebody going to run down a wicket with all them men round the bat, under pressure, and hit it for six? That, for me, is why... Basball will will struggle more so there than it would in Pakistan. Pakistan didn't spin that much. So I think all these come into it. So for me, Root has to bat three, which means you either have two, you have two from Duckett, Pope or Crawley. And with that, you get Bairstow in your team at number six. Stokes at five, Brook at four, Root at three, and then it's Duckett and Crawley, no Pope. Or you've got to remember Stokes is not a guaranteed starter yet. So then that might be an easier one because Pope yeah. then would captain. <clears throat> but they're, they're, the, they're the conversations. I'm intrigued to see how they get seven players out of the top six, you know, the seven batters that they've picked plus Ben Folks. So that's intriguing for me, that one. That's a point. And the next one is their bowling attack. When it comes to the bowling attack, you've got Wood and Atkinson, so it's going to be one of. And it's going to be one of Robinson and Robinson and Anderson. I would imagine alternate between the series. They'll need a quick bowler. They'll need somebody to hold an end, which is obviously Jimmy did it brilliantly last time they were out in India. But if you pick Mark Wood, if you pick Mark Wood, I think you struggle then to get Rian Ahmed in your team because the last thing you want is a bowler who who's expensive, possibly expensive in Wood with Pierce on a ball, and then Ahmed as well, who hasn't bowled in India, who is just a young man, who for me. The Indians then, for me, go and try and smash him out of the park. And then it's up to him to, to combat that. If you then only have Jack Leach and Jimmy Anderson, all of a sudden you've got a threadbare bowling attack, which I think you'd struggle to 20 wickets anywhere. So that the all these thrown into the melting pot is why I think England are going to really struggle in India. Because they're not, not know their best side. And their, <clears throat> their game plan, for me, would be questioned if Joe Root bats at number four and then you'd have to not play Johnny Bairstow. I think, Harmy, um, Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes are not going to want uh, Jimmy Anderson bowling dry. Yes, Jimmy can run in the bowl 10 overs for 15, but um, I don't think that... Anyway, I, I need to get a comment from you on West Indies and Sri Lanka, so we have to leave that for a moment. Just a quick word, though, on the approach. England flying in three days before the first Test match, uh, having been based and preparing in Dubai, and then apparently flying back 
to Dubai, to the comfort of their guaranteed world-class club sandwiches and golf courses, Madness. rather than st- stick it out in the in the in the outback. Of, Madness. Of India. Madness, absolute madness. And like I said to you last week, Manners, this is not confirmed, but when it does get confirmed, I can't wait. I want to I wanna say, I'll actually get in touch with him, what Nasser Hussain used to say and have a go about me not not playing in three warm-up games before a, an Ashes series abroad. I'd love to know what Nasser is going to say about this because for me, there's a lot of broadcasters out there that are frightened of this England cricket team. If England go in three days before, they deserve to get beat 5-0. They really do. I'm not. I'm, I'm an old man, right? And that's what they're going to say. Times have changed. The game has changed. But I tell you what, preparation hasn't changed. You cannot go into India under. You, you cannot go into India over prepared. You know, you could be in India for six weeks before and still not be prepared for that first test. And what the emotion of that, that the cauldron that goes in to go in three days before. You, I'd love to know what, like, you know, you talk about Peterson and you talk about Strauss and you talk about Cook in that great side, the only side that's won there in twenty in twenty twelve. What they would think if this, if you said, "What well, we're going in three days before," I think they'd have laughed at you. I, I really can't. And I, to be honest, I love this this new approach. I love Ben Ben Stokes, the Brendan McCullum approach, obviously Rob Key and everything that they've done, ECB have done. But I'm sorry, going in three days before, you would never do that for an Ashes Test series. You'd never go to New Zealand for six, eight, ten days in between in Australia. You would never go to Australia you know, with, with for three days before the Gabba. So why go three days before Hyderabad? For me, it's because it's the new world, Harmy. It's the new world. It's not John. the new Your world, man. Is it? No, it's not the new world. It's not the new world. It's player power. It's player power. That's all it is. It's it's people backing down to the players. We've got we've got twenty nine contracts to players. We've got a system that's that's hanging by a thread for me at this moment in time because we're frightened that the players are going to go off and do something else. Let them go off and do something else. This is the England cricket team. You play five test matches in India. You prepare the right way and you go in when it's you know, to, with overs under your belt, with balls fierced and getting used to the climatization. It's a different air. It's a different surface that you're gonna that you're gonna go on. For me, it stinks. Absolutely stinks. John, quick thoughts on that and then lead us into three tests against Sri Lanka and the West Indies in the summer. Just off the back of what Hamid's just been saying, I think it suggests that maybe TNT will be covering that tour because I don't think Sky would have put up with that. No. I think if Sky <laughs> are covering, then suddenly I think you might find Ian Ward in Dubai with, uh, with NASA. I don't think you'd be able to ask NASA because mm. I think they'll be ensconced um, within the, the England team hotel. Looking ahead to the summer, well, one of the things that I was asked about baseball at the start of the Ashes in regard to will this work, This uh, the great entertainers. And one of the things I said, a little bit uh, piously, I suppose, was, well, it's all well and good. Full houses for the Ashes. You're never going to have any trouble selling those tickets. Yada, yada, yada. The real test will be next year when the West Indies come for three tests in Sri Lanka. Well, hey, presto, because ticket sales are through the roof. So fair play to Ben Stokes and the great entertainers because it seems to have worked. You know, ticket sales have been very sluggish, even for test cricket, partly because of the speed of the game and people don't like to buy tickets a day four and five anymore. But essentially, my overriding thought is get your money on an England player breaking the world record for a innings. That's what I think. I think England are going to go out there and I wouldn't be surprised if Harry Brooks scores 400 and... Two. I really, I really wouldn't. Especially there's when enough, you look at the West Indies squad going to Australia. Well, exactly. 
if you look at the... Uh, with credit to West Indies, they always play well against England. They beat England in a test match. Ben Stokes was captain, wasn't he? Um, they shy hope at, at Headingley in 2017, was it? They've got a terrific record and fair play to them. They came over here where nobody else wanted to during COVID times. But if, they, if England get a good track, bat first, plenty of time, Harry Brook comes in, I can see it. I can mm. see it. In terms of the challenge, in a more serious nature, going back onto what Harmy's just said, Manners, look, we've got a situation which, and nobody's been on this story more than you, Manners, the, the team that is going to be heading to New Zealand, the South African team that's going to be heading to New Zealand in February, uh, the test team, that is, which has basically been cobbled together out of uh, naturalised American players that left South Africa years ago, uh, players that turned their back on South Africa and came to England, players that, you know, the coach found the, down the back of the sofa. Uh, maybe a couple turned up underneath the Christmas tree. Who knows? But essentially... New Zealand have never beaten South Africa in a test series, ever. Am I right in saying that, Manners? I think that's yeah. right. Ever. That is a proud record, OK? And it will almost certainly go in February. How long have South Africa and New Zealand been playing cricket against each other? 70 years? 80. 80, 80. years. And essentially, that proud record has been thrown in the bin. OK? Now... We have a situation where the West Indies are going to be heading to Australia, of all places. When did West Indies win a Test match in Australia? I mean, you must have to go back to 1990, mid-90s? A a long time ago, right? And they are going with seven debutants. That, in a nutshell, is why Test cricket is done. Because there are only four or five nations playing it. That's my overriding thought and when it comes to Sri Lanka and West Indies because we grew up, and we don't need to go through all the names, but one of the... And I know this, this you have to go back for this, but when you were growing up watching cricket in the 80s, at the start of the summer, on terrestrial TV, the first test of the summer, these 11 faces would appear on your screen. And you might know one or two of them, but you'd never seen these faces before, OK? And then by the end of the summer... You could reel the names off. You knew the, the the facts and the figures. You knew the deeds. You knew who had done well and who hadn't. And essentially the narrative and the stories and the, the history was born and it continued through. That's how cricket used to be. Now, those days are gone. That's absolutely fair enough. But the days of us sitting back and watching the very best of the West Indies playing test cricket, the very best of Sri Lanka playing test cricket, it's gone. Hami, Hami, we'll get your thoughts at the beginning of part three because time is moving on very quickly. You're listening to Following On with me, Neil Manthorpe, Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison and Talk Sports cricket editor John Norman. Uh, Next up in part three, we'll look ahead to the 2024 T20 World Cup in the West Indies and the USA. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Kia to everybody in the Talk Sport family. This is Daniel McCarty, cricket commentator from Little Old New Zealand, dialing in from the Riviera of the South Pacific, that is Wellington to be exact. Cannot wait for a huge sporting year in 2024. The Olympic Games, of course, a real highlight. Get prepared to see New Zealand overachieve and the finest strip of them all, the black with the silver fern, and get prepared for New Zealanders to bore you by talking about the medals per capita table at a ridiculous rate. But uh, cannot wait to see the TalkSport cricket commentary team back on these shores as England tour New Zealand for a three-test match series. That will be huge. Hope you all have a wonderful sporting year in 2024. You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison and TalkSport's cricket editor John Norman. Uh, if you've missed any of this show or you want to catch up, you can download pod- the podcast from the Following On feed, um, available as always via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Harmy, just before we talk about the, um, the T20 World Cup, and it'll be a fascinating one, just quickly your thoughts. I, I think that it's going to be... I'm actually really excited about the West Indies and Sri Lanka test matches because I, I think, um, I don't want to use the word bullying, but I just have, unfortunately. Uh, but I think Basball will be in fertile ground against those two teams. And I'm not saying that England will win six, all six by any means, 
you know, the wheels can fall off somewhere along the line. But I think it'll be brilliantly entertaining cricket. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go that. And as I'll say, they'll win six. England go to India for me. <laughs> England could go to India for me. And I, I, honestly, I've, I've nailed them. And I've been on my high horse so far, which is not like me. But England could lose 5-0 in India. They win 6-0 at home. And by the end of the summer, we'll sit here doing another review going, well, what's the problem? And we'll sort of paper over some of the cracks that mistakes that England have made and we'll be back to baseball being this great thing. England will win 6-0 next summer. Not a problem at all. West Indies will come with, I think, a, a stronger side. I think there, there'll be a lot stronger side. Jason Holder and one or two others, I think, will come to England because I think it'll probably suit them to come to England and the schedule might be a little bit easier for them to come to England over the, what they're going to, to Australia. Um, but England will blow... West Indies away, they'll blow Sri Lanka away and we could, I, I can easily see England losing 4 or 5 nil in India and winning 6 nil at home in the Test Series and we'll be sitting and going, what's the problem? We've entertained. And that's what they'll say. We've, we've, we've gone out, we've given our best, we've entertained, we're trying to play a brand of cricket to get people through the gate and who will argue because like you said John, the ticket sales are up, they're off, off the back of the last Ashes Series. But that for me will, I think that will happen. No question whatsoever. We'll have the similar 12, 13, 14 players playing for, for England next summer um, as what will play over the course of this winter. Uh, they'll still be England's best players, and I've got no doubt with that whatsoever. Anderson possibly might be the one that doesn't play as, as much cricket if his age starts to catch up with him after a long trip to India. But I think the top six batters will be the same. Bairstow might be the one that's keeping wicket because it suits in English conditions. So I think all in all, England will lick their wounds after getting beaten in India and, and come home and win 6-0 and, and people will go, well, what's the problem? And then go into the next winter with possibly the same head-scratching conundrums of franchise cricket, T20 cricket, filtering into what will be a difficult, difficult winter when it comes to the Test Series. Righto, John. Let's move on to the T20 World Cup then. And I don't want to be too controversial. I mean, this is the um, ho-ho-ho Christmas special. <laughs> but did Phil Salt save Matthew Mott's job in the T20 series? I mean, they were, were 2 nil down. They lost the one-day series. They're 2 nil down in the T20s. And Phil Salt scores back-to-back hundreds. And, and if he did save his job, is that a good thing? Because there was certainly increasing speculation that he wasn't the right man to be in charge of England's white ball cricket. I wonder where this speculation is coming from. I think, I feel a bit sorry for Matthew Mott. I think that he is victim to a certain degree the World Cup format. And the reason I say that is because you know how the media works, Manners. England were knocked out of that World Cup with four or five matches to go and a good two or three weeks of the tournaments still to play out. And such is the way of the modern world, where a story needs to be written every day. And we live in an era or a time when there has to be a full guy. And I suppose Matthew Mott was kind of the easiest one to get at, and he was got at. And I think some of the reporting, I'm not sure how much of that was based on real angst within the setup of of the squad. I think a little bit may have been essentially picking on a guy mm. because it made it it was an easier story. He's an easy target. Mm. So I don't think Matthew Mott 
would have lost his job even if it, England had lost the T20 series 5-0. Of course, we don't know that because it would have been how they lost the, the series 5-0. There's been several problems, um, several criticisms aimed at the structure from wrong calls at the toss, wrong te- muddled team selection, loss of form, loss of confidence, mixed messages. So if all of those things combined and England lose 5-0, maybe, maybe. But I think in a weird way, by asking the question, did Phil Salt save Matthew Mott's job? I understand the question, but it was Matthew Mott that selected him to play and he selected him to play because he's a good cricketer and he just did his job, didn't he, Phil Salt? And that kind of is what Matthew Mott's job, job, Matthew Mott's job is as well. And just to finish up, if not Matthew Mott, then who? Yeah, that's the thing, the who. The who, the who will be is the glaring, obviously one because everybody speaks highly about him and he's in there, but he's never coached a team yet until we see him in the hundred, and that would be Andrew Flintoff. I'd, I, I'd say that's a it's a massive call, massive call at this moment in time. But I think England, I think if England had lost this series four one, were on the verge of you know they were two nil down, staring down a barrel. I don't think it was just Matthew Mott. I think you would have to look at Josh Butler as well, his position from a, a captaincy point of view after. Because you're talking about tactically, we were in, I think, difficult situations. I thought team selection, model thinking, toss, they were all combinations of a Mott and a, a Butler combination for you know them decisions that come to, to be made. I think he's an easy target, Matthew Mott, and he will be an easy target for the, every single day he has the England job because nobody's going to have a go at Brendan McCollum. Nobody's going to have a go at Ben Stokes. They're not going to have a go at Rob Key. They're not going to have a go at Josh Butler. These are icons of of our game and the game of cricket. So, and the, what Key's done, Rob Key's done, completely changed the transformation of English cricket for the better, in my opinion, from a positive point of view. Even though if we lose five nil, I'll still have. I'm not backing him because he's my mate. I'm just backing him because of the way his outlook of changing cricket has been over the course of the time he's been in the job. That for me is far, far many po- more positives than negatives. But Matthew Mott is an easy; he's always going to be an easy target. He is always going to be an easy target. You know, he wins the World Cup. Nobody really said anything. It's Jock Spotlight, Ben Stokes. Look at Ben Stokes got us through it. Goes to the World Cup. All of a sudden, you hear rumours out of dressing rooms from Owen Morgan. Owen Morgan saying there's something not quite right. He was the re- he's the man that set the template for this dressing room. And he's on commentary saying it's not quite right. So something in there is not wasn't quite right. Now, in the Caribbean, there was murmurs again after two games, but there's always going to be when you are losing. So he's just an, for me, he's just an easy target. Will we see at the end of 2024, Andrew Flintoff be England's white ball coach? There could be a possibility, depending on how he goes in the 100. But I think at this moment in time, I think Matthew Mark is a, is a victim of... We can't have a go at everybody else, so we'll have a go at Matthew Mott. And that, unfortunately, is where I think this England group is at this moment in time. They are, I think, on the cusp of doing something special in T20 World Cup because I think they've got the right components to go to the Caribbean and the USA to, to potentially win that tournament. In these last two games, I think they've unearthed somebody who was a question mark, massive question mark. Who was going to go at the top with Butler, possibly Bairstow? Was it going to be Salt? Was it going to be Jax? Well, he's put his hand up. So we've got another one inked in for that team. We've got a spin bowler, 19-year-old, who is another option when it comes to 
because he can play with Rashid, he can play with Moen Ali, and that's Rian Ahmed. Another one who, for me, is inked into that squad going forward. So there's been a lot of positives out of this series. So when we get to the end of it, and we look back on it, and we think the real, the only real, the only reason why we're criticising Matthew Mott is because everybody else in the management setup, the ECB, is a little bit untouchable, and I think that's why he gets so much criticism. Okay, just a quick prediction then. Uh, let's just go the Indian Test series. Uh, you've said the England summer will be six nil, Harmy. Let's go. Let's just for a bit of fun. I'll go first. Put my head on the block. Four <clears throat> one India, and um, England make the semi finals, losing the semi finals of the T Twenty World Cup. So your two, John. Okay, I'm going to go three three two India. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go three two. Listen on Talksport two. I'm going to say that England will... I mean, how's the format? I can't even work out the format of the, of the mm. T20 World Cup. Semi-final. I, 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 Semi-final, final, that's it. Who knows? Toss a coin with that. I, I, I can't even pretend to tell you who's going to win that or, or whatever. 5-0 uh, England in the summer. 2-0 against Pakistan. 2-1 England against New Zealand. I'm going to go... I hate to say it. I'm going to go 5-0 India. England, <laughs> India. Yeah, I don't, I don't see England. Honestly, I really, I, I'm. I'm I, have, I, I will. I haven't given you your offer yet. Hopefully, we'll be. Hopefully, we'll we'll be commenting on something positive. But Harmy's just, just talked himself out of, it, out of the gig. By I the can't way, see. I really can't see it. I really can't see how England, other than other than Joe Root getting going beyond what Kevin Peterson did in 20, 2012 I can't see England winning. A test match in, oh, in India. against 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 this India side. I think this India side. It depends what India side play. But England's very if, own Glenn McGraw. If England, in reverse, yeah, in reverse. If if, if India play Ashwin, Ashwin and Jadeja, Axar Patel. Well, then you know th- th- what pitches you're going to get. You know what you're going to get. You know, Bumrah <laughs> to go with it. So Mohammed Shami. Yeah. Then you've got to factor in the likes of. You know, Virat Kohli and Rohit Sharma at the top. If they play their full side and their full guns, which we expect them to do, I think it's going to be very difficult for England to to win a Test match. They'll win this summer comfortably, every Test match, not a problem. I think they'll get beyond the semi-finals in the World T20. I think it's a lottery when you get to the knockout stages. But it wouldn't surprise me if this England side, and I look at this side that England could pick, and I think England could go on and win and retain their their T20 World Cup. Can I ask you a question, Manners, before you give us your four-year predictions? Right, yes or no, right? Will India play Pakistan in a 30,000-seat stadium no. in New York? <laughs> no. OK, we'll see. Uh, uh, can I ask you a question? Will India go to the Champions Trophy in Pakistan in No, no. No. <laughs> no. 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 Hybrid. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> No, <laughs> that's got more chance of being in New York. And no harm if he carries on like this. <laughs> okay, look, I mentioned the all the, the the smaller nations who've qualified for the T Twenty World Cup. We're going to finish this section, you know, the Uganda, Netherlands, Scotland. Um, but uh, we spoke to Nepal coach Monty Desai a couple of weeks ago, and I just want to replay a quick clip of him describing just how big cricket is in Nepal. Every time we play a game, in especially that. Uh, Tribune University ground, TU, which is a historical ground for Nepal cricket. The stadium is jam-packed. I mean, I cannot even say stadium. It's like banks around and a small dressing room on the other side with some structure in place. Uh, you know, so... Uh, but yes, uh, the fans are crazy. They climb the trees. They stand in the rain with umbrellas on. 
they climb up the roof to just uh, enjoy the moments and yes qualifying for the world cup 2024 it was a very significant moment for all the nepali fans and for us we feel proud about it that was uh, nepal coach monty desai and for more content on nepalese cricket you can read plenty more interviews and features on sportsboom.com you're listening to following on on talksport 2 with me neil manthorpe double ashes winner steve harmison and talk sports cricket editor john norman as we look ahead to what's to come in 2024 uh, next up we'll look at the rise of franchise cricket and whether 2024 will be the year we see english players swap the t20 blast for major league cricket Hi, man, it's Mark Machado here from the Murali End. We take a closer look at what's going on with Sri Lankan cricket. 2024 should be an exciting year for Sri Lanka. We're looking ahead to the men's T20 World Cup in the Caribbean and the West Indies. We've got a young, maturing side, and um, expectations are kind of starting to grow a little bit. That with the Red Bull, the kind of showpiece event for Sri Lanka next year, we'll be coming over to England for a test series. Uh, we're all looking forward to that. We've done quite well in test cricket in recent recent years but whether or not that will continue in into 2024 we'll wait and see because some of our players are coming to the end of their career and uh, w- with the women obviously we all build our teams built around Sharmri Atapattu and we're building towards their the women's T20 World Cup at the back end of the of the year as well so it should be exciting and on top of all of that as well hopefully at some stage our suspension will end and we'll return to full members of the ICC listening to following on here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison, and our boss, TalkSport's cricket editor John Norman. Uh, and you can watch us on YouTube now as well. Um, if you're not doing so already, just head over to the TalkSport cricket ch- uh, YouTube channel to subscribe. And it's not just this show, it's uh, a whole lot of other things. You heard John Norman say earlier that uh, there's an interview with Monty Panesar going up soon. Uh, let's um, finish the programme this week, gents, with... Uh, franchise cricket uh, and the announcement the only surprise about which i think was that uh, it's taken this long is that the ipl are considering which means they are going to introduce a second edition ostensibly to protect the integrity of the mother tournament it will be a t10 tournament in the september october window if there is even a window there I, I think it will uh, potentially spell the end of any meaningful bilateral cricket between nations outside of the big three. But then global domination was always the IPL's objective, and I think that they will reach it, and I think that there will be a high price to, high, pr- high price to pay for the game. It will generate a lot of money, Harmi, won't it? But um, at, at what other cost? Yeah, it'll generate a lot of money. I think we'll end 50-over cricket for definite. I, uh, I just can't see how 50-over cricket can, can survive if they're going to have two tournaments, especially if one's going to be a, a T10 tournament. Bilateral-wise, the test matches will go between the big three. We are in a week where a lot of the, the especially in England, the Premier League clubs, football clubs, have have completely dismissed this European Super League, which is world domination by 16 clubs. From a from the, the sort of in the European part of it, probably because there's, there are far too many clubs, and uh, they can out they can all have their say and they can all shut it down. 
I don't think we can have that in cricket. I don't think there is a, a possibility that the BCCI will ever be sh- sort of shut down in that that way. So if it is coming, which it looks like it is getting more and more momentum, then I think the the bilateral cricket is, like you say, I think that might be done and dusted, all gone. So it's a concern from a financial point of view for the players. Great. I'm all for the players making money. really am. And in seeing the best product, T10, I wouldn't be convinced by that. I'd, I'd rather just see another T20 competition. I really would. I don't see the point. It's the same as the 100, the 100 for me in the last two competitions have got better and better I really enjoy everything about the 100 apart from the format if they turn that into a T20 competition brilliant I don't see the point of having a T10 competition when you've already got a a 20 over competition that's working in in that country so why not have another maybe shorter cup style competition in October and September and October we can frown upon it we can say it's going to hurt cricket but at the end of the day they will go on deaf ears I think there's a time in all of our lives when you hit upon the real, the reality that the world isn't there for you anymore. Yeah. And that's life, right? And it's otherwise known or otherwise called as a midlife crisis. It happens to everybody. <laughs> We're all past that now. When it comes to cricket, you are essentially moving into a situation where India owns March, April and May. India will then own September and October as well. So that's five months. ICC. And then England have given up, will sell off August. Yeah. Okay, so that's six of the 12 months. And ICC have a a global event every year. So essentially you will then have another one month to six weeks um, for an annual ICC event. Only England play cricket in June and July. I know you have the um, the Major League Cricket or the CPL back end of August. It's such a stunted calendar, and it means poor old Pakistan. I mean, you may as well just give up, because when are you going to play? Because outside of those months that I just made mention, the BCCI still make more money than anybody else makes out of their own international team. India also have to play. So essentially, you've got a situation where India would decide what happens in March, April, May, August, September and October, then India would decide when their team plays and then India would decide when their team plays you. Yeah. Everybody mm. else has to fall in line after that. And, in, and India will tell the BCC, the BCCI will, in that window, will let the ICC have a global event which it, then India turn up to. So it's still, it's a concern, but unfortunately there's no way around it. What I still cannot work out, Manners and I'm not sure if you can or Harmy, I am interested when teams play international cricket. So when New Zealand plays South Africa, I'm interested. Mm. And when Bangladesh plays Sri Lanka, I'm interested. But how do you make people interested in domestic T20 tournaments that aren't taking place in their country? Mm. I don't think that's possible to do. I don't think it is possible. But I don't think it matters. Unless you're in India. Because I think India well, have the have the ability to make the impossible possible. I, I don't know. I think we will find out over the next five to ten years how much appetite there is in India for overseas domestic T20 competitions. And if there I isn't, they'll all go. Yeah, I, I think there will be a natural thinning out process. And I think that we should also remember that India are the in a position of global dominance, or the BCCI, 
because of the number of eyeballs that watch the game, not necessarily because they're innovative and brilliant administrators and they are a brilliant team and they've got lots and lots of brilliant players. But ultimately, it, it is the, the, the bottom line, which is driven by advertising and television revenue. And, and I, I don't know whether that actually will be sustainable. And I think that there will be a, a, a big, big thinning out. And so um, final thoughts, just before we get to the final word, which has become very popular, thoughts about 2024. Uh, what I'm looking forward to, what I hope, we've got to be brief here, is that, that we get some clarity and that whether it's brutally painful and horrible and, you know, like anybody who's ever lived through the last days of a favourite grandma or gra- grandfather, uh, you know, knows that, that when they get clarity, when when it's over, then there is peace at least. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping that, that we get some of that, that, you know, Joss Butler and 15 of the world's best players sign these 12-month deals with the Rajasthan Royals and the Kolkata Knight Riders and just say, you know, I, and I came to this realization when John Rahm signed with Live Golf. Yeah. Um, I just one of my favorite golfers, <laughs> and he and they said four hundred million, and he said, ah, uh, yeah, uh, okay. And I, I, you know, at least it'll allow us all to move on. You know, if Josh Butler says, well, I had a great run as England captain, and I'd still like to captain them from time to time, if possible, in between uh, all of these um, franchise gigs. And then, you know, if Joss Butler does it, I, actually, I hate to single out Joss. It could be anybody. But, you know, and then, you know, the 20, 25 most successful white ball players just just sign the deal, get the job done, and then we focus on playing test matches with B teams. <laughs> Are we going to finish on a positive, by the way? I know I'm sounding a little bit bleak. But um, I, what? so that's my hope for 2024. And the other side is that Joe Root and Ben Stokes could lead a, a counter-revolution. They've already said they're not going into the IPL auction. They've already said we could make more money, but there are other things that, that are more important to us. Okay, that's naive. Go on then, John, and you, you can have the last word, Harmy. Well, I've already said what's going to happen. Harry Brook is going to break the record for the highest <laughs> international score, and it's going to happen at some point in England's 6-0 win this summer. Look... Let's my my positive take on all this is let's just appreciate what we've got. Yeah, we've got a, a guy in Ben Stokes who's leading the Test team, and he has put the Test team at the forefront of everything, and he has risen the profile of the game. There are more tickets being sold, and it is a brand of cricket for all the doom gloom and all the naysayers. We do believe now, so that's great, right? So you've got to appreciate that while you've got it, and let's also not forget that in India you have a true cricket nation one that does command audiences of 100 to 110,000 people in the stadium to cheer on their heroes. And they are heroes. They are some of the best Indian cricketers we've ever been fortunate enough to bear witness. And okay, they've got too much power. But we had too much power for a long, long time. And you know what? We didn't deal with it particularly well either. And let's just appreciate that because actually, if you bring golf into the equation, that raises a potential future for our game if it follows that suit, which will see us in five years' time looking back to this time and going, oh, those are the good old days, mm. weren't they? When, yeah. in, when India ruled the game? Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. For you know, for all the doom and gloom, and I, I think England are going to struggle in India, but I think we still... I still sit there as a fan and put the cricket on my TV 
and and purr at what I'm watching. You know, whether it is India dominating, whether it is Australia winning, and it's it's been difficult to see them win from an Englishman against Australia. But I think that the cricket that's been played around the world is fantastic. I've got a son who's 15 trying to make a name for himself in the, the, the junior ranks. I see a lot of kids watch a lot of junior cricket. And I mean, the way they go about their manners, we've talked so many times on this show over the course of the last 12 months about where Charlie's been playing and who he's been playing against and watching players go. I've just seen three young lads sign academy contracts for Lancashire who Charlie played against in the last 12 months. And and watching these kids play makes me believe that the, the game is in a better place than what it was 12 months ago what it was in 12 months before that, because the way they are trying to play the game. They're playing the game the way Ben Stokes is wanting England's test team to play. They're playing the way that, that the one day and, the, and the, the, the way Phil Salt's just come out to play, which is just no fear whatsoever and having a go. That, for me, is positive. The game of cricket, for me, is still positive. Yes, it needs reining in and pulling together and people talking to each other to try and somehow get a, a marriage made in heaven, but you never do that. I've got you know, I've 24 years married manners and it's not always been plain sailing. So for me, <laughs> when it comes to that is we've still got a product I think we can shout about. I still think we've got a product which is beautiful to watch, whether it's England or England winning or England losing. And I still think we've got a product which is growing especially for the younger market of the game who is seeing it. I just wish we could come together and somehow have a governing body who could just get everything going and get their ducks in a row. Never going to happen, but, you know, we live in hope. Get him, get him Fentino. In Absolutely. Get, get him Fentino <laughs> over. He's done a brilliant job, hasn't he? I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to as well, actually, and I've actually compiled a list of articles written by um, colleagues who I respect greatly, um, uh, talking about the brilliance and innovation of baseball, and, I, and I'm going to jump all over them. If England do go down heavily in India by playing baseball cricket, then um, a, and they turn, then uh, I'm going to be all over them like a, like a rash because uh, you know what? It's it's been a revolution that has changed Test cricket. Yeah. It's been one of the most formative periods of Test cricket, which has been around for 145 years. And uh, all credit to them for that. And if they go down in a blaze of fireworks, then <laughs> good on them. Good I'd on say them. good on them. Exactly yeah, good right. On them. Yeah, stick to what you okay. believe in. Listen, I was going to. Uh, the final word was going to be um, about Tom Curran's appalling behaviour <laughs> in the Big Bash League when he insisted on running and play and um, having run-throughs, basically practice deliveries on the match pitch, which he knows as an international cricketer of a decade standing that you can't do. The fourth umpire then stood in his way and he threatened to run straight over him. I'm just absolutely appalling. Four-match ban. and um, But I'm not going to... I'm not... He's, I'm not going to give him the final word because we're going to... We're on, on an upbeat. And so I don't know whether you've got a final word, John, but Harmy... Have you? Yeah, to yeah. Finish I, on a high? I agree with you, Tom Curran. One, yeah, he was. I thought it was arrogant. I thought it was. It was. It was just not needed. It really wasn't needed um, by somebody who I think has got a lot more common sense and is a lot more respectful than that. I, I didn't believe it when until I actually seen it because I thought Tom Curran. I still think Tom Curran's a, a good, good human being. But my final word, and especially this year, is a guy called Niche who he will be listening. I, I went for dinner the other night and. 
he came into a restaurant and he tried to sort of get a photograph talking about how much he loves this programme and loves John Norman, loves Neil Manthorpe. And the, the, the guy, the waiter... Nish, just, Nish, Nish Norman yes, his name. Yeah, he, the, the, the waiter ushered him outside. And I felt awful because I really wanted to go out. And when I went to the door, there was nobody there. And then 40 minutes later, when we finished dinner and I went outside, he was there, standing there with his wife. And um, he's telling us about, obviously, his wife's from Riajkot, looking forward, potentially going over for the Test Series. So, Nish, if you're listening, I do apologise. I couldn't find you when I first came out. Um, But we had a good conversation. And for me... I appreciated what he said because it means somebody is, at least one person is listening to this show. It is being loved. And Manners, you, over the course of the last 12 months, along with Scott, I think it's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope you have a good Christmas. and uh, Sorry, a good New Year. And we look forward to 2024 being positive. John, thank you so much for joining. It's been absolutely brilliant. I know you... You've got too much on normally, to, uh, but you have to make time. At least join us for half a show in the in 2024. Oh, mate, if, if you want me back, I'll be back. In fact, <laughs> I just decided to come back. Just come back. Yeah. <laughs> Your decision. <laughs> You've been listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison and uh, our very own cricket editor, John Norman. And if you missed any of the show or you want to catch up, uh, don't forget you can download the podcast always available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Harmony and I will be back next week, hopefully with John, for another busy show. But this has been the final 2023 following on. And we wish you all a happy new year. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.